John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Well, it looks like the NFL dodged a bullet on another one. Uh, you know, a positive test earlier in the week with Marlon Davidson, a draft choice defensive tackle for the Atlanta Falcons. <clears throat> so he goes on the COVID list. And then today, uh, the Falcons shut down the facility, at least temporarily, for one day because it first was reported that four players had positive tests. It turns out it was a coach. And so technically, the league didn't shut them down. In fact, they could have gone back. Uh, but now, uh, everything's still looking good for the Atlanta-Minnesota game, which, of course, <laughs> I don't know if that's looking good because you got two with two teams that are what one and one and four so that's not looking good but nevertheless looks like that game's still going to be on and kind of unusual tonight no thursday night football because the game was moved to uh, monday and so that'll be at uh, two o'clock monday on fox and uh nfl network and amazon prime so let's get into the five biggest stories of the day Number one. It was clear yesterday from the comments they would like to stay very much on the 17-week regular season schedule, get all 256 regular season games in, and they really don't want to go to a bubble format. They ruled it out for the regular season before the season even started, and even in the postseason, they just don't think it accomplishes what they wanted to accomplish. And that's Judy Batista from the NFL Network talking about the two days of meetings with the owners and talking protocol and everything else. And so the, the big thing is that uh, you want to try to get in all the games and you want to try to get in as early as possible because, again, it's like uh, the league would have to use a Week 18, but then the problem would be if you have uh, a team that has two remaining games that had to be postponed, then you're talking about having a Week 18 and a Week 19, and that's what they don't want to do because – then all of a sudden you have all these playoff teams <clears throat> that have qualified just waiting and waiting and waiting and you know not even playing for two weeks. And so that's not good. And you know you can have practice and all that. It just delays things and gives you more chance that things can go wrong. But you have to adjust. Uh, again, the protocols have been changing on a constant basis in the sense that uh, you know uh, now, for example, if you're trying to get a player on your roster, you have to have them go through about six days waiting, you know, with five days in the COVID uh, program, trying to at least get the negative test, and then on day six, you can then pass the test and then get in, get a physical, and then get on the roster. So it's like it's slowing things down as far as signings in free agency. Like for example, uh, one would be interesting is Cassius Marsh just got cut by the. Uh, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars and you figure that he might be a candidate to come back here uh, I don't know he's more of a five technique than he is a uh, Leo but he could be a candidate but you have to think that the uh, the Arizona Cardinals who had him last year are going to definitely try to bring him back because Chandler Jones went on the injured reserve list and is going to be out for the season because he had a pectoral uh, tear so you start to look and see the, the moves and all that stuff and of course the reason that Marsh got cut was that they were able to trade uh, for Camille Correa, the linebacker who didn't want didn't want to stay in Tennessee after being inactive and actually being on the COVID list, so he now goes down on we don't know what draft choice, probably a seventh round pick that Jacksonville gave up, but we can see uh, that trade did happen. Trades are going to be a little bit difficult this year because again, you have that six day wait, so it's not like you're getting immediate impact. You're making a trade, you're making a trade for the next week, particularly knowing that the trade deadline is going to be November third. Will there be trades? Yes. Will there be as many as normal? Probably not. Number two. 
people have high ankle sprains and they'll affect you sometimes throughout an entire year. So um, I think there's a little, it's, it's pretty much as simple as that. I mean, it, it makes it hard for you to play at your best by no means, but does that mean that you can't play? Um, lots of guys go out there and they have things that prohibit them from being their best, but you know, if you can play, you still got to go out there and perform and um, I'll be the judge of that watching him throughout the week and if he has a good week of practice and looks like he gives us the best chance to win, um, then I won't hesitate. If it looks like it hurts in the game and it's prohibiting them, um, then we'll do what we did again. And that's Kyle Chanahan trying to explain the Jimmy Garoppolo high ankle sprain problem, which I still contend that he made the mistake by playing him because you can just see he wasn't there and he wasn't ready. I guess the smart thing was benching him after 17 throws and only seven incompletions. But you can see that you know with his right leg, the plant leg, not being able to really have much strength, he wasn't able to get accurate passes. The mechanics were all gone through two bad interceptions. And, of course, what ends up happening... 49ers are putting themselves in a real tough spot at two and three with a 43 to 17 loss in my uh, against Miami. And that's now meaning they've lost three home games. And now they're going through a tough seven game stretch, which starts this weekend with a Sunday game against the Los Angeles Rams. So uh, I think that they made a mistake in playing him because again, it's like uh, you want him to be at his best and he wasn't at his best. And the 49ers with all the injuries and everything else, they were at their worst. And so uh, some people are starting to speculate now that they're tired of Jimmy Garoppolo and they don't like him. Well, let's put it this way. Uh, you can see what happens when he's not in the lineup. I mean, guys, you take him out and all of a sudden it's an absolute blowout. And of course, it was a blowout in part because, again, he shouldn't have played in this, in that. But, uh, you know, as you go back and you look at that team, I mean, they were 2-14 and 14 in the season that he missed. And then he's back and at least they went to the Super Bowl. And say what you want. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jarrett Goff, they're not the greatest quarterbacks, but they're quarterbacks that help get their team to the Super Bowl. That says something. And I know he's making, what, $27.5 million. Uh, and that's, you know, kind of a, the going rate right now for, you know, that second, I guess you call it the third tier, second tier of quarterbacks. Uh, so I think he's better than people go. But we're going to talk to Andrew Siciliano uh, from the NFL Network and the Red Zone Channel and everything else at 1030 as we discuss what's going on in the NFC West. Number three. Now that Le'Veon Bell is free, the Jets still owe him $7 million. So the team that signs him basically can give him a veteran minimum deal. It offsets what the Jets already have given to him. Basically, it's not going to be a money deal. It's going to be Le'Veon Bell picking where he wants to play. And after going through the last two seasons with the Jets, I think he's going to want to go to an offense where he flourishes, where he can win games, where he can go on a playoff push, where he's got a chance to win a Super Bowl. Adam Schefter talking about Le'Veon Bell because he's now quickly narrowed his decision down to three teams and he excludes the Chicago Bears who probably have the biggest need for a running back. Three teams that are on his list are the Kansas City Chiefs, the Miami Dolphins, and the Buffalo Bills. The Bills did confirm that they are interested in Le'Veon, but here's the interesting thing about that is like, guess who the next three opponents of the New York Jets are? Not in this particular order, but it's the Chiefs, the Dolphins, and the Bills. So he's going to be going back at Adam Gaze, the coach he was mad at, and tweeted out some uh, complaints about not being played him up. But how about that? In the sense that uh, you know they can now he can come back and face the, his former team, the team that gave him a uh, thirteen point one million dollar contract, and then decided to cut him. And so I think it's interesting. I think of the three teams, the one that probably needs to do it the most is the uh, the Buffalo Bills because I know Singletary is a very good back. Uh, and if you're Le'Veon, you don't want to go to the Dolphins. They're not that good. I mean, it's like you want to 
get in the playoff hunt and uh, the Bills would have a little bit more wiggle room because right now the Chiefs have their own uh, first round pick at running back and so Le'Veon would be going into a backup role with the Kansas City Chiefs so I think right now the Bills would probably end up being the best choice for Le'Veon but again you're talking about a guy that turned away $14.5 million in Pittsburgh did not collect a dime and now is sitting on the street ready to take a minimum deal number four he brings a presence and he brings a you know a level of diversity to their offense that they just don't have otherwise in terms of run pass component and he was in a tremendous tremendous groove he was in a tremendous groove in particular with julian edelman i mean his yards per completion to julian edelman was twice what it was any other skill position player which just shows you how quickly he has adapted to this offense and how the players have adapted to him with him coming back i think they're back on track to doing that provided everyone else stays healthy now look that is not discounting anything that buffalo is doing because minus the performance that they just had the other night against the tennis Titans, they have looked good, but it is still New England's division. It is still Bill Belichick's division. We'll see if it's still the division now, because again, the Bills right now have a voice in this too, but that's uh, Lewis Riddick uh, talking about Cam Newton coming off the COVID's list and going and resuming team activities. And boy, if you're the Denver Broncos, can things get any worse? I mean, they're sitting there uh, they can't win a football game. They uh, have a quarterback coming back from an injury in Drew Locke. They've got injuries galore. Then they find out that Melvin Gordon, he gets arrested for a DUI. And, uh, you know, they didn't have, don't have him practicing as we speak. I mean, it's the, the league's not going to do anything to him now because his case is going to be in November. And then if he's found guilty, it's going to be a three-game suspension. But the team has to decide if they want to put him on the field, and they very well may not. But if you're New England... Uh, you're saying, okay, good, we're going to get Cam Newton back. And what ended up happening was the fact that they had to move the Denver-New England game to Sunday, where it would have been, uh, what, Monday night? And then, or uh, so you're, you're looking at the fact now that, uh, you know, here Cam has those extra days to get ready and come back to beat the Denver Broncos. It's been a bad, bad season for the Broncos. Number five. Dayton on three and two. The bases are loaded. There goes the carousel, and there's a fly ball to center field. That's well hit, and it's a grand slam home run. Max Muncy. It is 11 to nothing, and we're not finished with the first. Unbelievable. The Dodgers, in a 15-3 victory over Atlanta, score 11 runs in the first inning. So at least they're trying to make it a series. It's now 2-1. to one. And so they were able to avoid being down 3-0 by doing that and now have a chance today in Game 4 to tie it up against the Atlanta Braves. They will have Clayton Kershaw on the mound. He's been fighting back spasms. That's caused him to scratch from Game 2. So he's going to be there for Game 4. In the American League, the Houston Astros avoided being eliminated. Uh, they were down 3 nothing, but they got a 4-3 to win over Tampa. Tampa Bay to at least make that three to one. So today's action is going to be at two o'clock, uh, game five of the ALCS series on TBS. And then tonight you'll be able to hear parts of the game uh, at 710 ESPN Seattle. Game four between the Dodgers and the Atlanta uh, and Atlanta Braves. That's going to be on the air at six. So stay tuned for that. And of course, you can listen to the show via the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to go into further review and talk about Chris Carson and what type of thing the Seahawks should do in getting him an extension. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. Well, I know that uh, this bye week, everybody's reflecting on everything as they should. 
the good start that the team has at 5-0, and despite uh, giving up more yards than any other team in the National Football League, and kind of reviewing where this team is as far as uh, being the most likely number one seed, in maybe even in the league, but certainly in the, in the NFC. It's basically between them, Green Bay, and of course, you know, around the corner you have to look at the Rams and Tampa Bay and New Orleans, but also, you know, a time to reflect to see, okay, uh, what type of things need to be done, and naturally, uh, it's going to be a tough cap year next year, with $175 million being the possible low cap uh, because of the pandemic and the lack of revenue. And so that puts questions as how difficult is it going to be to get contract extensions? And it's not going to be easy. There's no question about that. And, of course, the two main guys, and, again, there's others that they have to decide on, but the two main guys are Shaquille Griffin and Chris Carson. And, uh, you know, running backs, you know, we've had a few now, uh, Dalvin Cook and Joe, Joe Mixon and a couple guys like that being able to get pretty good deals more than I ever expected. I mean, 12.5 for Derrick Henry uh, a year. But Chris Carson earlier this week was talking and saying that he thinks he's a top five back and there may not be total agreement, but there's no there's no argument in the fact how good he is and how valuable he is to this franchise. And so now the debate is going to be how much should he get and what should the Seahawks do? Should they sign him? Should they let him go? Where it should go? And I know on, as we go into further review, Brock Hewitt has some answers to that when he was on today with Danny and Gallant. Uh, Chris Carson thinks he's a top five running back. What do you think he will have to do to get that big extension from the Seahawks? He will have to stay healthy this entire season. He will have to stop giving the ball away and being loose uh, with the football and his ball control. And, you know, he's going to have to be the the dominant guy that he's absolutely shown in big, big spurts. Uh, He's going to have to do that over the course of the entire season. And then ultimately, Bump, I think he and his agent are going to have to figure out and try to gauge this market of, okay, where do we fit in this? Am I Melvin uh, Gordon down in Denver here on a two-year, $16 million deal, about $8 million a year? Am I Christian McCaffrey in my mind and think I'm a $15, $16 million a year? Am I Kamara? Am I Dalvin Cook somewhere in between those at 12 to $14 million a year? Where am I on that spectrum? Where am I reasonably on that spectrum? And ultimately, also, what, what, what do I want, you know, try to get out of this? For Chris Carson, bounced around in high school, bounced around in college. Uh, the NFL has been up and down just mostly because of injuries through four years. And he, and he was a seventh-round pick that hasn't made his coin. And if he were to get $8 million a year, you know, a, a team, I hate to say team-friendly because a player should go out and get whatever the market bears. But as the salary cap comes down next year as well, I think it's all about, Bump, how reasonable he's going to be. And as a former seventh-rounder that has not made that guaranteed money in anywhere into the millions... Would he take a two-year, you know, $15 million deal with Tenebit guaranteed? I don't know. I I think ultimately that's between he and his agent in the market as well. Yeah, Brock and I are pretty much on the same page. And, uh, you know, Chris, don't get mad at us for, you know, I know that you aspire and probably should be aspiring to get 10 plus million dollars. But uh, I still think that's going to be difficult for this team to do. And so now I think there's two tacks that the team could take. You know, number one, I mean, you know, let's say, you know, because the Melvin Gordon deal, which really hasn't worked out well for the uh, Denver Broncos. And you think about the fact that, uh, you know, Melvin Gordon was you know, a two-time pro bowler, had a very good career with the Chargers and the best he could do on the open market was two years at 16 and uh, you know the big money has not been going to running backs in free agency 
And so can you get somebody to pay you $10 million? And I'd say right now it might be difficult. So the Seahawks have two tacks they can go. Number one, you, know, you go to them, and, of course, because of the injuries, uh, history and all that stuff, you don't want to do that five-year type of deal, four-year type of deal. I mean, again, maybe if you do, do a four-year 32, that could be one. But, again, you want to kind of keep it a little bit shorter, kind of like they did you know, with Jaron Reed. They got a two-year deal for Jaron at $11.5 million a year. So what I'm thinking is that you do something like about a three-year $24 million or a, Mel- a Melvin Gordon-type deal at two years 16 that gives them at least the assurance that uh, you know, you're, you're getting guaranteed money, you're getting big money, and that's maybe not the, what he would like, but I think it's a smart way to do it. The other thing to do, which of course is one that I'm sure that Chris was not going to like, would be the franchise tag, because the franchise tag last year was about, what, $10.5 million. Or this past year, ten point five million, and uh, it's going to go down because you know the all franchise tags on every position are tied to the cap, and if the cap's going to go down more than twenty million dollars, you know that number for the franchise tag may be under eight million dollars. And if you're Seattle, I mean, you want to maybe take the tack of franchising either you know Shaquille Griffin to keep him or Chris Carson. You may be able to do two deals if you can get the right kind of deals, but the franchise tag is an option, but it's also going to be a discount for the team and probably a discount for Chris Carson. Uh, but, you know, uh, with his injury history, you know, I think he's, he can fix up the fumble things, but he's so physical the way he runs that you have to worry. It's like, okay, uh, is, when's that going to catch up to him? Because right now, I mean, even at this young age that he has, you know, he's got, he gets pretty banged up. And you look at a back right now who's really good, but you're probably not going to get 16 games a year out of him. And so I have to think, uh, Curtis Rogers, that uh, the best tact right now would be, you know, you start talking. If you can get him in that $8 million range, fine. You know, Austin Eckler, who came in uh, as an undrafted player in the same draft as Chris Carson, so he came after him. I mean, he took, what, $6.25 million on a four-year deal. And, uh, you know, again, I just don't think that, uh, you know, being a seventh-round pick, not having the big name, not that the big name means anything, that uh, it's going to be difficult to get the 10 or $11 million for Chris Carson. Yeah, I, I don't know if he's going to get what he ultimately wants in free agency at least not from the Seahawks because I, I would imagine double digits uh, double digits in the millions is what Chris Carson is aiming for here and, and I mean yeah he's a great running back and, and he gives the Seahawks offense an attitude that I don't think it's been here since Marshawn Lynch was around and you know he's a physical punishing style of runner and that's a great thing to have but it's also kind of taken its toll on Chris Carson two out of his previous three seasons have ended with him with a season-ending injury, so you kind of wonder, is durability an issue with him? Um, like Brock said, you know, a Melvin Gordon-type deal I think would be very friendly for the Seahawks, but I don't know if Chris Carson is going to want to settle for that because he has not gotten that big payday yet in the NFL being a seventh-round pick, being somebody taken near the end of the draft. John, when you look at the guys who are sort of in line for uh, extensions with the Seahawks. Who do you think is going to be their top priority? Is it Shaquille Griffin? I think Shaquille. Yeah, uh, unless 
because uh, again, he can't command that seventeen to nineteen million dollar a year deal. You know, I don't know if in free agency if he could get the fourteen million went to Trey Waynes, and of course Trey Waynes went to Cincinnati and then ended up getting a pectoral injury, and he's now out for the season. But I think you can because again, that's and the the problem that Chris Carson, Shaquille Griffin, and all free agents are facing next year is that it's going to be really hard to get your true value. And so you know what I look at like Shaquille Griffin. You know, you you look at the franchise cornerbacks, right? And they all, most of them are getting paid. But I look at him as more of a transition corner cornerback. Well, I'm not being critical. I'm just being realistic. In other words, you know, he's more of a uh, guy that can make the Pro Bowl alternate as opposed to the the Pro Bowl. And so I would have to think that uh, what you're looking at is, you know, 14 million dollars or less and 14 is a fair asking price. But again, can you get it when the cap's going to go down maybe as much as 20 to 23 million dollars? I think that's going to be very difficult. And so now if you're Shaq, uh, you know, you may get the franchise tag and that may be below, say, 12 if you have the discount of 25, 30 percent, which it may be. But I think that, you know, one, you want to make sure you take care of your own players. That's so important for this franchise. And I think you can see, you know, from the leadership standpoint, Shaquille Griffin has been valuable. I know he had two bad games to start the season, but I think he's recovered from that and uh, he can be fine. And you also have his brother here and everything else. So I think that, uh, you know, continuity would be good. But, you know, and if you're going to be taking, say, you know, less than 14 or you're going to be Chris Carson taking eight, you're probably better served to do the shorter term deal because, you know, the cap will go up significantly in 2022, you know, because it's going to be tight next year in 21. Then you start getting the new TV contracts in 22. And so everybody is kind of, you know, going in different directions and, you know, either giving some short-term discounts to teams and not getting too much more than they were scheduled to make to get the extensions, knowing that it's going to go up big. And so if you're Chris Carson, I mean, you want another bite at the apple. If you can, you know, get a chance to, uh, you know, go at two years at 16. Yeah, it's kind of like what we saw in the NBA where guys were taking the one-year deals right before their big TV contract hit, and then once that hit, they were able to take advantage of that higher cap space, get those record-setting deals where guys were signing for like $30, $40 million, mm-hmm. and they were willing to lock themselves in for more years just because of that financial security they'd have. You know, Like you said, John, this next offseason is not going to be one where you're going to see many guys sign for you know four or five years just because the money's not there. No, agreed, and that's uh, and you're also you know fighting the uh, reality, particularly if you're Chris Carson and a running back. There's a lot of running backs out there, and you know again here's here's Melvin Gordon. I mean, he was considered to be one of the best backs and on the out there, and the best he could do was eight million dollars. That's just going to be very difficult. So uh, you know, if I'm Chris, I'd, I'd consider you know a two year sixteen, just so you don't get the franchise tag at an even a bigger discount, and just got to get another bite at the apple and stay with the team that uh, believed in you, really likes you, and you fit everything else. Hey, tell your smart speaker to play seven ten ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to seven ten on your smart speaker or app. Coming up next, Andrew Siciliano, the NFL Network. Talk to him next. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. 
And joining us is Andrew Siciliano from the NFL Network. And, of course, you can watch Andrew at NFL Now. That's going to be daily at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Also, don't forget, because we, we always have to keep track of the schedule because the schedule's changing every day. Chiefs and Bills, maybe one of the best games of the year, is going to be on Fox, the NFL Network, and Amazon Prime. Uh, and, of course, you can catch that Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific time. And so, Andrew, I know I've spent more time watching you this year that I've ever watched because on the Red Zone channel, I'm out there watching just about uh, everything here because I'm working from home covering the league. And so I'll be watching you for all shifts coming up starting at 10 a.m. on Sunday. Well, John, I'm glad you're watching. Thank you. I'm sorry it's under these circumstances, although obviously it's out of our control. It's a, it's a different year. I mean, the last couple of Sundays, you you wake up at like, uh, I do at least, to like 5 a.m. here on the West Coast and look at my phone and be like, all right. Are these games going to get played? Let's uh, let's do this. Um, and uh, look, as, as the commissioner said this week, the key here for everyone is to stay flexible. And I, I think that goes for all of us in life. I mean, there, there's truly nothing that would surprise me anymore. Um, like if the UFO landed on the White House lawn tomorrow and they redid the day the Earth stood still, nothing would surprise me. It's 2020. <laughs> it really is. I mean, just a very unusual year. Uh, each week, it seems like uh, you come up with a, 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 a great stat. And the one that I think you came up with a couple weeks ago is that uh, you had scoring and offense in this league compared to the last time anything was like that was the 1961 AFL. Kind of go into that. Yeah. It, it, it's it's crazy, um, and credit to our great NFL Network research staff and, and, and all these other people at DirecTV that are helping me out with those. But the, the one that I just saw this morning going through our notes for week six is that, and I got to double check on how many games were played um, because obviously we, we've had some games uh, delayed here, but we've already seen through five weeks 50 more, five zero more touchdowns than last year through five weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's absurd. I mean, even if it's one or two games or three games uh, difference between the two seasons played through five weeks, 50 more. So whether you want to blame lack of a preseason or you want to blame lack of practice time or whatever you want to do, uh, the scoring is way, way up. It really is. And that's the thing, because I know that uh, each day, uh, you know, here in Seattle, which is a 5-0 and team, uh, the criticism is there for the defense, but I mean, you know, because you're watching every game and you're seeing it, it's like most of the top teams have the same issue, whether it's Green Bay, whether it's New Orleans, and particularly more in the NFC because there's more quarterbacks that are, you know, pro bowlers or veteran quarterbacks. It's like, it's, it's difficult to keep teams under 30 points. It, it is. I, I would say though that the Seahawks still have a bit of an issue there, they but do. They, they do, they do have, Obviously, you know, because you get to see it up close, they do have the greatest deodorant in all of football, and that is Russell Wilson. And I and I don't say that in a demeaning sense. I mean, he can make any team that much better. He is magic. Um, I know there were some tweets. I did this on the show uh, Monday. There were a bunch of tweets after he let him down the field in the pouring rain on Sunday night. Unbelievable. No, it isn't. Totally believable. It, it's what he does. Mike Zimmer knows that if you don't get it on fourth down right there, there's a darn good chance that that guy standing on the other sideline is going to march down the field and rip your heart out. Yeah. And that's what he does. And obviously you guys see it every year. Uh, he has the ability to take whatever is around him and elevate. And that is a very rare quality. Very few athletes in any sport have the ability. I, I, I can't emphasize that enough. 
in any sport have the ability to raise the level of play of those around him or, or her. And Russell Wilson is one of those people. And also, it does help that uh, you know he's got two really good wide receivers. You know, he's yeah. always had a comfortable level with Tyler Lockett, but also DK Metcalf is coming on huge. And Russell, I think, deserves some credit. Not to take away from DK, not at all. But go back to the pre-draft process, John. You know, there there were plenty of people that doubted that this would be the DK Metcalf that we would see. There's a reason he fell to John Schneider and Pete Carroll where he did. Uh, I think the whole program gets credit for, for realizing, for helping this young man realize his talent and become the player he is, which is right now a top five matchup problem at his position in the league. I know the the stats are starting to surface for the 21 games that he's played. You know, he's got 80 passes, like 1,396 yards, 12 touchdowns. That tops Julio Jones in his first 21 games, Terrell Owens in his first 21 games, Calvin Johnson in his first 21 games. The only one that doesn't touch was Randy Moss, who had 90 catches in 21 and 20 touchdowns. But it's an amazing to think, I mean, because, uh, you know, it's, Popular is, because you know on the NFL Network, the players voted Tyler Lockett uh, in the 50s. And, you know, Metcalf made the top 100 in the 80s. And now it looks like he can be a pro bowler. Yeah, um, they're both special. And they they both, you know, I I won't forget, uh, like, there are moments in your brain burned in from last season. I I was up there for the TNF game, the Thursday game for the Rams and the Seahawks last year. Uh, where Zerline missed a kick at the end, but that was the game in which Tyler Lockett caught that ball in the corner with Russell on the move. Like, that was one of the lasting images for me for 2019, simply because when he threw it, I actually looked back down on my phone. I'm like, oh, he's throwing it away. And and then you hear the crowd go wild, and, and Tyler Lockett caught the ball. They have, and Russell has, a connection with those two guys probably unlike any connection that any quarterback has with any two. I mean, some have a connection with one, but any two wide receivers on a team. Yeah, it's 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 remarkable. You you mentioned the Rams, and of course uh, you're down there in Los Angeles. Uh, I I underestimated them because again, other other than on defense, uh, you you don't know any name other than Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, and Michael Brockers, but. I know they played NFC East teams and won the NFC East with four wins, but uh, how good is this Rams team? Um, It's a great question. I I think they certainly have benefited um, from the schedule, but even back in week one, I mean, they beat the Cowboys before the Cowboys totally fell apart, before their injuries mounted. Uh, I I think they are good. I I don't know how much we're going to find out this week. They're in San Francisco on Sunday night in primetime. Uh, the Niners are so banged up. I, I don't know that this is a good measuring stick. I think we'll find out a lot more next week when the Bears come here on Monday night, at least in terms of what this Rams offense can do, which, you know, in terms of offensive efficiency, they're ranked number four in the NFL right now. Um, Sean has, Sean McVay has gotten back. I think, how do I say this? I, I think the, uh, the time off during the pandemic and the time at home helped him. I, I think, it, 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 it reinvigorated um, uh, the offense here. He got back to the lab, and I think it shows. Uh, they are very good right now and very efficient offensively. The the injuries are kind of mounting a little bit. Uh, Jordan Fuller, Obo Okoronkwo on defense. 
Um, but this is this is a playoff team. And go back to the Zerline thing last year on Thursday Night Football. If Zerline makes that kick, and I know Seahawks fans hate to hear this, I, I know it was very early in the season in October. Then then the Rams are ten and six and make the playoffs, and the Seahawks are at home. They still did have the Rams did the best record of any team that did not make the playoffs. So I, I think reports of their demise were a little bit exaggerated. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like it's so amazing to think since the Super Bowl that 11 starters on defense, uh, yeah. a nickel cornerback, three offensive sure. line starters, and Brandon Cooks and Todd Gurley are no longer there. The I think the bigger turnover that's surprising is defensively. Um, Aaron Donald is still there. Uh, Micah Kaiser is now injured, which is a big loss in the middle of that defense. But just the defensive names that have that have turned over, and Eric Weddle and Clay Matthews um, and, Don, and uh, Dante Fowler going to the Falcons. Uh, I, I think that was a bigger surprise for me, how they've been able to do um, to play as well defensively as they have. Brandon Staley, the defensive coordinator, gets a lot of the credit. He's a very uh, under-the-radar coaching move, I think, in the offseason that has paid dividends. Uh, but they will be tested down the line when they play the Seahawks, when they play the Patriots, when they play better teams offensively than what we have seen the last two weeks. Yeah. What uh, have you noticed as far as just the style of football league-wide? Because you know, if, in copying Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, there's so much more pre-snap motion that seems to be working, and also a few little bit more of two tight end offenses around the league. Well, look at the Browns. They're 4-1, and one, and it it's all kind of goes back to the same Shanahan tree there. Obviously, Stefanski learned under Kubiak, and now he's there, and the Browns are uh, nothing but pre-snap motion and uh, running downhill at you. You know it's coming, but you don't know where it's coming from. Um, I mean, even to the point where Stefanski was using JoJo Natson, who, who Sean McVay followed up with the last couple of years but never did a darn thing offensively, and they were using him the first couple of weeks for nothing but pre-snap motion when he was out there. Um, look, it, it's a system that's been around. It's not anything new. But uh, the more you can keep your defense on, on its toes, the more you can identify the coverage and figure out where that blitz is coming from, from putting guys in motion. Why not? You know, the, the, the day and age of lining up in an I formation and just trying to, trying to bash your head into the line, I think, is over. Do you think defenses will start to catch up a little bit, uh, or is this just going to be just a total offensive year? Um, that's a great question. I, I don't... No, I think injuries certainly will take a toll on both sides of the ball. They already have. Look at the 49ers who the Rams are facing this week. Um, it's a great question. Look, in 2018, the Rams' offense was cooking. They they faced Matt Patricia in December, who threw a six-man line at him, kind of slowed him down. They made it to the Super Bowl um, and then lost to the Patriots. Um, obviously, you know, Matt Patricia and Bill Belichick have something in common. Um, uh, Mike Vrabel with no practice, found a way to shut down Josh Allen and the Bills on, on Tuesday night. Uh, I think it's hard to keep these offensive numbers up, but I don't think the teams that are great right now, like the Seahawks, uh, like the Titans, like the Steelers, I don't think, like the Packers, they're aberrations. 
No, no doubt about it. And of course, uh, that's it, it. Does make for a fun season, and of course, it's fun, you know, watching you on the Red Zone Channel. Of course, you can what be caught up on NFL Now. It's as daily at 10 a.m. And don't forget on the NFL Network, Fox, and Amazon Prime Video, you get a chance to catch the Chiefs and the Bills. By the way, how good is that game going to be? That game's going to be amazing. Um, and, and just the idea that we're getting it an extra game on Monday night as well. I, it's, this is going to feel weird, John. Uh, like tonight, it, it's Thursday. Yeah. We, we have no Thursday game. This is so weird. And then the idea that we had a Tuesday game. I mean, it's like any given Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, there's a Christmas game that's here Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. And so I think Wednesday right now is the only day on which there is no NFL game scheduled for the entire calendar. Um, but I would not bet against playing a Wednesday game at one point. No, and of course you can catch that game at 2 p.m., which is going to be interesting to see. An afternoon game, Chiefs, Bills, Fox, NFL Network, and Amazon Prime. So Andrew, weird. Thank you so much, and I'll be watching you for about, uh, what, eight hours on uh, Sunday? John, I will wave. And, of course, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes at 710sports.com. The Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, behind the lines, we'll catch you up what's going on in the National Football League. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, interesting day as we try to see if Le'Veon Bell what he's going to do after being released by the New York Jets. He basically took the three teams that the Jets play over the next three weeks and uh, is now talking to the Chiefs, which is an interesting one because I don't think he can go, he'll want to go there because he's, he's not going to beat out the first-round pick, you know, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilar uh, because he's so good, uh, certainly one of the leading candidates for Rookie of the Year. So I think Le'Veon you know, wants to get a starting job. He can probably get one in Buffalo. That's one of the next options. And then, of course, uh, the other two, team is Miami and I can't imagine now he can get certainly a starting job down there uh, but it's going to be one that he's going to be on a losing team and I think you know the losing part of the New York Jets situation has got to be in the back of his mind Miami may be able to pay the most money but again it's irrelevant as far as the money part of it because he's got you know a 8.5 million dollar base salary guarantee so he's got the guaranteed money that comes out and of course he can get back at the Jets because each dollar that he gets uh, from whatever team is deducted from what the Jets have to pay him. So really, it's kind of a free type thing. Although, again, he lost so much money in the Pittsburgh deal, turning down to $14.55 million uh, and sitting out the entire season, not getting a dime. And now here he is, you know, less than two years into this deal and he's on the street. But again, I look at I look at the Jets and I just shake my head, Curtis, because here, here's a team that is in such bad shape that, uh, and you know, with Adam Gaze, you know, sitting there with a losing record, the 32nd best offense, quarterback, it's hurt, and Sam Darnold, Mickey Beckton, the uh, left tackle, he's hurt. He's probably going to be out. An offensive line that's just getting dr- drilled, and uh, you know, he, you know, they have to pay him all that money, and they only have. You, would you believe this, Curtis? Only one Pro Bowl player on the active roster of 53 and you know who that is who's that frank gore oh and he made the he made the pro bowl a couple decades ago exactly yeah yeah i mean how crazy is that jeez i mean again adam in that same mode as he always is you know chasing away players when he gets mad at them that's just how it goes with adam Gase. and when you said there was a one Pro Bowl player on the roster, John, the most surprising thing about that was the fact that there was one. It, yeah. it seems like that roster has none because that is such a poorly constructed team right now. 
Uh, from top to bottom, it is just absolutely garbage right now coming out of the New Jersey area from the Jets. Uh, I mean, yeah, they, they do you know get rid of Le'Veon Bell, but like you said, they are still on the hook for a large chunk of change for him. Uh, so wherever he goes, he's going to get that money. Uh, but yeah, the Jets right now, just such a, a dumpster fire across the, the NFL. Uh, and I think a lot of people kind of expected what Jacksonville to be the worst team this year. They have not been nearly as bad as the Jets, and there are a couple teams right now that are going to be near the very top of the draft this year, the Jets, the Giants, uh, the Falcons. All three of them have quarterbacks in place right now, Darnold, Daniel Jones, and uh, Matt Ryan. But with Trevor Lawrence being the top prize in this next year's draft, it's going to be interesting to see how the top of the draft sort of shakes out with all those teams I guess sort of already in bed with a quarterback, but they don't necessarily have a lot of long-term prospects. I could see maybe one, two, or three of those teams sort of move on from whoever mm-hmm. is, is under center right now. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, Washington, they're all ready to move on from, uh, you know, Dwayne Haskins, because in fact there's some thought that he might get traded before November 3rd, which is of course the trade deadline. Uh, of course, he's not doing anything right now because each day he comes to work and he's sick, and it's not with COVID. But they can't, they sent him home again today, and he's now the third string quarterback, not the backup quarterback. So that one <clears throat> is one that didn't work out. And you know, you talk about uh, Jacksonville. Don't write them off yet, as far as a team that's going to be in the mix for you know maybe a Trevor Lawrence because they are the first team in NFL history to lose three consecutive games to winless teams. Yikes. That's not good. That's not good at all. Uh, Speaking of Jacksonville, John, uh, sort of a minor news, at least on the NFL radar this morning, was Jacksonville releasing Cassius Marsh. The Seahawks, they're in need of pass rush. He's a veteran. He's very familiar with the system, having two separate stints with Seattle. You think that's a possibility for the Seahawks to add to their pass rush? Could be, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, they they were very big on going back and getting players that they had here. Now he's not necessarily the Leo, but he can maybe, you know, he can he can maybe help out. I would have to think uh, because you know last year he's I mean pretty much he's played for just about every team in the division except the Rams. Uh, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes back to Arizona because they're looking for not somebody to replace Chandler Jones, but somebody that uh, you know they they need a defensive end, and so. Uh, you know, I think he could be a consideration to go back to Arizona. That'd be uh, one to watch for, especially here in the NFC West. Like mm-hmm. you said, he's he's made his rounds a couple of times uh, in the division. So, and of course, the reason that uh, they let him go is that they were able to make that trade with Tennessee for Camilla Correa, who uh, wanted to be traded after coming off the COVID tests and being out for some time. And then, uh, you know, they, he comes back, and basically, he had no place on the on the roster as far as being on the field because they have Jadevian Clowney, they have Vic Beasley, you know, they have. Uh, Harold Landry, a high draft choice from a couple of years ago. So he asked for his release or trade, and they, they gave it to him. Didn't fight him at all. So, uh, you know, and he's not in Jacksonville right now. Well, coming up next, we're going to chat with Michael Bumpus, get his thoughts on Chris Carson and everything Seahawk and NFL-related. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.